Hello and welcome to Map Bites episode 89. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. In this episode, vanishing buttons, whiteboarding and untethered rampaging. So, okay, it's been a while. There is method to our madness though. There was much delinquency going on after the intensity of the Great MacBite 7, so we thought you needed a rest. Do you think we'll get away with that? Uh, no, yeah. me neither. No, no okay. we won't. No, well, Dan tweeted and said, Good news, I'm only two and a half podcasts behind. Might get caught up this week. Only two and a half behind. MacBite is struggling to keep up. I love it, love it. And then, of course, there was Minster. I tried to sneak out the last show. Do you remember? I do remember. What I was attempting to do was ensure that Minster was in his usual predicament of being without Wi-Fi. But he outwitted me. He got home with Maddie and um, he had Wi-Fi. So he was rather thrilled there was another another episode of Matt Bites. But I predicted a dangerous ride to work. On account of the fact... We'd mentioned that picture again, hadn't we? I remember that picture. To any newcomers, you really need to check out... Uh, the previous show notes for details of that picture. Shall we put them in again? Or maybe not. Well, I think I will, you know. Uh, Yes, Minster nearly rode into a pothole uh, when I mentioned this certain picture. Magpie Siri did warn him that uh, I seemed intent on making his journey as treacherous as possible. That wasn't the end of the danger, though, was it, for our intrepid Minster? Oh no, heck no. It all started with a TV programme on Channel 4. For our overseas listeners, how would you describe Channel 4? Mm, um, minority programming. A third rate was a description that came to my mind, but I digress. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, I had tweeted that uh, there were times I'm even more grateful than usual that we're a TV-free household. And this was one of those times. And I tweeted a picture. This picture was... It was the TV details, wasn't it, of a programme that I I won't give the title of. I'll just carry on without the title. And um, Minster said, you can always rely on Channel 4 to delve into the darker side of the UK. Now, I'll give you a clue. It was was about dogs, wasn't it, this programme? In a manner of speaking. Uh, Yeah, sort of. Loosely, loosely. Anyway, Minster had the temerity to ask me if the programme was good. And I replied that I was hoping for a detailed review from him. So I gave him a link to the on-demand programme. And as I say, it was a couple of months ago now. But do you know what? I checked today and it's still there. Is it? So it is. I haven't seen it. I didn't... Well, it's still there on demand, as it were. Anyway, (laughs) Minster got back to me. Yes, it was on demand. Minster got back to me and this was what he said. Holy cow, it's not a documentary about dog walking then. (laughs) (laughs) To which I replied, no, are your eyes bleeding yet? He did say he was going to watch this programme and he was going to get back to me all about it. So um, it wasn't a programme about dog walking, was it? It was much more, um, how shall I put this delicately? I don't know. I'll leave this to you. I can't even remember what the programme was called, you know. You look it up. But uh, it was a a programme about dogging. That, that was the problem. It was a programme about dogging. You want me to look it up? I'll get banned by Virgin. Oh, you might actually. Oh, no, no, because it's on demand. You should be okay. Here we go. Here we go. Docking Channel 4 documentary. It comes up in the Google suggestions. Docking tales. Yeah, not those kind of dog tales, I'm afraid. Anyway. No, that's what it was called. Point being, it's still available for watching. And I have not heard from Minster about said programme. So, task for the MacBiters this week 
give that documentary, that's a bit of a loose term, isn't it? Documentary. Give that documentary um, a run and uh, let me know how you get on with it. And um, wondering what he stumbled into, we have a new MacBiter. Andrew Black posted on the MacBytes timeline on Facebook. You are all following us on Facebook, aren't you? Of course you are. Anyway, back to Andrew. He posted, really hope you're putting out a new episode soon. I'm working my way through the back catalogue at a great rate of knots, up to about episode 60 after five days. Funny listening to how much things have changed since episode one. You know what that means, don't you? Is that just us changing or is that the tech changing? I'm hoping it's not us. Well, actually, no, I, I vaguely remember episode one. Well, <laughs> one. One listen was enough. Very brave souls. No, I'm seeing that as a challenge to Jane and Minster in the MacBytes listening marathon. Are we doing another MacBytes listening marathon? I think we should. I think we should sh- set up a hashtag and follow along on Twitter. Good idea. Anyway, welcome to the MacBytes family, Andrew, and you're not alone. Yes, we also heard from Wayne Franklin, who asked, I just discovered your podcast and I'm enjoying it very much. I'm wondering if you will be resuming. Well, here with Resumed Podcast. We have our own little thing going on when it comes to scheduling MacBytes. Always like to keep the element of surprise. We certainly do. So what else has been going on in our hiatus? 24 loving it no spoilers no spoilers do you know what we went out and bought they're going to be shocked aren't what they? did we go out and buy we went out and bought a now tv box or now tv no now tv isn't it whatever one of those box things it was a bargain we discussed the price didn't we uh, and i said i had no need for it well i changed my mind before you start thinking we've gone absolutely mad as we've got no tv it was for mum rupert wins again i'm afraid do you know why why well I found on it that they were broadcasting the latest series of her favourite TV programme on there, NCIS. So, um, bit the bullet and bought the thing. I thought £10 was great for the money, but the service is somewhat flaky. In fact, I found it flakier on the proper box than it is on our iPads. Mm, it, uh, it gave up the ghost for 10 minutes, didn't it? Yes, luckily we did have an iPad to switch it to. She insisted we watch 24 on it. And it lasted about 24 minutes, I seem to recall. And most of that was adverts. But uh, yeah, I actually think it's far better on the iPad. But there you go. The box itself is okay. And it's actually got the iPlayer on it as well. What I thought was more interesting and more useful was that it's also got the Demand 5 apps and some of the other um, on-demand TV apps, which aren't on the Apple TV. So I'm not aware of those. Channel 5 isn't available on demand, is it, on Apple TV? Not it's seen Channel it. 4. Channel 4. Oh, don't, go, don't go there. We'll be back to the dogging again. <laughs> I thought that's what you meant. Um, no, but there are there are other apps on there, is the point I'm making. Right. There are other apps for other channels, which means that she's got access to on-demand, which when you think £10, not bad at all. On-demand dogging. So, um, yeah, yeah. it it's actually seems to work better with the other channels than it does Rupert's channel, but there you go. Then there was WWDC, wasn't there? The Craig note, you mean. Ooh. What is there to say? Shiny. Uh, want? Uh, no. It was more of, how do I turn that off? Uh, the window vista transparency thing that Apple seem intent on forcing upon me. Uh, Not keen. Yeah, but you'll love it when you see it. You always do. I won't. Anyway, roll on the next Craig note. Sorry, sorry, keynote. And uh, is it safe to mention it yet? What? Aperture. <sighs> For the users, I'd guess not. Yeah, Apple do it again. What can you say? They've done it before. They'll do it again. It might be better in the end. And how long will that take? It reminded me of Final Cut Pro, you know. 
Is that? I thought it was two years, but I, I've got a sneaking suspicion it's three. I honestly can't remember. I, I thought it was two, actually. I but... think it's three. Um, everybody pointing out that the improvements, there were much improvements to Final Cut Pro. But remember what I used it more for than Final Cut Pro? Because we're talking about Final Cut Studio back then. Soundtrack Pro. That's right. Never, never was restored. And irrespective of how good the audio editing is inside Final Cut Pro, that won't help me edit an audio file, will it now? So I can completely understand the Aperture users. Do you know what I thought was worse than Apple actually no longer supporting it? Go on, what? The apologists rampant with the self-serving rhetoric. I don't know. It's like don't feed the trolls. I don't know why I read it. The most ludicrous comment, uh, and there were quite a few, was to, uh, and I quote, look to see, look, look at iWork to see what Apple are capable of. Seriously? They threw away all the old code and built something fabulous. Seriously. It's all right. It went on in the same vein. Um, be honest. It's a shadow of its former glory. They specifically mentioned sharing, commenting and collaborating. What did I say? What did you say? Have they actually tried doing it? <laughs> Probably not. Yes. Patchy sync. Um, I, I, I did it again. You know, you know what I'm like. It's not working. It's not working. Leave it alone. And will I, will I walk away and leave it? No. So I uploaded a file there and I thought, right, it's on the iPad, it's on the desktop and try and keep it in sync. You know, leave 25 hours between using it on each device and just hope and pray it works. And did it? No. I got this conflicting file message and I thought, that's fine. One of them is up to date, isn't it? The dialogue was too small to read which file is which when you're trying to make a selection to keep when there's been a conflict. So I had these two files and there was nothing. I couldn't make, make out which one was the, the more modern of the files. The sharing as well, we tried that because I said numbers will, will do that. Do you remember? Yeah. We had a specific job in mind and I said numbers is perfect for that. And the sharing was just a complete joke. It took us an age and it still isn't working right. So, uh, no, I thought you, know, you don't mention I work in relation to anything, Apple. And another apologist argument. I love this one just wait for this one apple made no promises they gave no guarantees you're wondering as to what aren't you <laughs> yeah i am actually no guarantee of the app working in the future and they started off by saying you know in 2020 in 2017 and came down to basically tomorrow so you buy this app and then there's no guarantee it'll work tomorrow well for me by implication i think there is a promise if i buy a cake I think the implied life expectancy is a few days. But for software, it's longer than that. Now, maybe not forever, but certainly longer than a perishable consumable. It's a matter of trust, and I'm afraid I'm getting to the point that I don't trust them. Totally agree with you. It does show you the importance, though, of working with one eye on what you'd do if an app went away tomorrow. It's horrible working like that, though. Now, I always did, to be honest. I had a referenced images, so I didn't import them into any kind of locked away library. But it does show you the importance. I mean, I talk about it in relation to presentations of always making a PDF of a presentation because you're guaranteed that that PDF will be able to be opened because the file format of a PDF was given from by, by Adobe to the International Standards Body. So there is a, a guarantee of lifetime openability for a PDF. But you shouldn't really have to think about that with all the work that you put into metadata 
into your photos. So not not great, no. I think this is probably the perfect time to mention your upcoming series of Lightroom sessions. Uh, which I hasten to add were arranged before Aperture's demise. Honest. Yeah, this month in July, I'm looking at Bridge. In August, we're taking a beginner's look at Lightroom. Following that up in September with Lightroom Mobile and then in October, automating Lightroom. So I had planned to do that anyway. It's just very fortuitous for Mac users that they're available. So come along and say hello and uh, learn what Lightroom can do. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people talking about Aperture and the new Photos app as well, which one day might be fantastic. Mm, one day. Now, talking of demises, a quick office has gone, hasn't it? Ah, yes. Google strike again. But to be honest, does it matter? We've got Office 365 and the Office for iPad apps. Will the others like Cloudon survive anyway? Now, Cloudon is free. I like Cloudon, as, as you know. It is a nice experience in terms of if you want full office, it is full office. It's not optimised like Office for iPad apps for the iPad, but it is full office. But the problem with that was they were hiving off premium features. It was completely free at the beginning and then they took some premium features. The one that sticks in my mind was EndNotes and Footnotes, which isn't a deal breaker for many, but in the education market, I thought it would be and you'd need to pay for stuff like that. Yeah, there's a whole host of other features they've hived off as well into the, 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 the pro side. And I think from from every time I go into the app, there seem to be more features that are pro only. And I think, I can't remember the price, but I think it was something like £8 a month, $8 a month. But certainly in, in Word, in Excel, in PowerPoint, there are more and more features being um, it hived into the, the pro side of things. And, and a good example is um, actually have it, having to pay to present your PowerPoint presentation within Cloudon on the iPad. So yes, you can create your presentation, although even there, things like um, SmartArt is a pro feature, but to actually have to pay to present it is um, is another thing. I can't honestly see the logic of that right now because you've got, I won't say the free Office apps because you do need the Office 365 subscription. But with the Office 365 subscription, you get the OneDrive space and stuff. So it seems a rather odd move for Cloudon, to, to be honest. It does, although they, they have been doing that for about 12 months Um and obviously the office apps have only been out two or three months, but still to, to continue going down that, that road is is a bit odd, like you say. Well, it's not optimised for iPad. So it, I suppose that cuts both ways, doesn't it? True. It's better if you want the real version of Office, but it's not optimised to use on a mobile device anyway. So there's uh, some, some menu options are missing, aren't they? The, the save stuff. That's right, yeah. So it's sort of full office. It's sort of 99% full office. Anyway, Google surpassed themselves with the introduction of Google Cardboard. I thought that was a joke. And I'd never heard of it. It was They sort of put it in at the end of, of um, the Google I.O. keynote, which was about three weeks long, I seem to recall. Oh boy, did it go on. Um, I was waiting for new Nexus. I was sadly disappointed. And then at the end, he, he said, you know, Google Cardboard, you can pick up your cardboard. And I thought, He's joking, isn't he? You know, it, it was one of those moments, but no, apparently not. It's a virtual reality headset. Interesting. You kind of slide a, um, a tablet in it or a, or a phone in it and um, 
can you imagine sitting with your head in a cardboard box? <laughs> no. I don't think I'm getting the full effect of this. I, I will hold my hands up and admit that I, I've been um, somewhat, um, what would you call it, offline for a few days. And um, no, I've, I've not seen any more detail about that. But I did think it was a joke, but apparently it's not. I, I did enough checking to check whether it was a joke or not. And uh, apparently it's not. But I'm just envisioning you sat there with your head in a cardboard box watching something on, on an iPad and it's not doing it for me, I'm afraid. <laughs> anyway, at least Microsoft are coming to their collective senses. You're worried now, aren't you? I'm not worried, no. No, because you like OneDrive too. I'd love OneDrive. They've upped the storage. We discussed this, didn't we? And Bob de Grand had uh, more storage than I did. We'll have to rectify that. Exactly. Tears before bedtime. So, uh, yes, Microsoft comes to the senses and announced one terabyte of cloud storage for everybody with an Office 365 subscription, which is me. Oh, I'm rather happy. And it's also for business, isn't it? You mentioned that. Yeah, we've got Office 365 at work. And the, originally it was uh, every user got 25 gigabytes. But uh, they, they have this, they, they Microsoft call it evergreen which basically means as they release new features, they are automatically made available to end users. And under the, the evergreen, uh, whatever, not agreement, but under, under evergreen, uh, they switch it on. And uh, they didn't want to switch it on at our place because it would jam up the network as, as people started moving files around. But I think they have done. So we've all got one terabyte of storage. Oh, wow. In fact, I think that's so good that I think it's worth... Ooh. You know why it's worth an ooh, don't you? Why is it worth an ooh? Well, I think one terabyte's good anyway. Um, it is with your subscription, so that would be £79 a year. But I keep talking that you can have five users on that account. And I did a triple check because it seemed too good to be true. But those five users can have one terabyte of storage each. People! Make fake users. You can get five terabytes in total of cloud storage if you do. I'm warming to Microsoft. I really am. Hang on. Let me check if hell has just frozen over. It's all right, Siri. It gets worse. Then there was the Surface. You know that Surface Pro 3 thing? I know it. OneNote and the pen. I would buy that. I know, terrible admission, I would buy that. Not particularly to have a PC, obviously. Just for OneNote and the pen. Am I fickle? Yes. Works for me. Anyway, talking of being unfaithful to the Apple cores, I've been reading on a Nexus 7. You're shocked, aren't you? I am shocked. Well, yes, you would be, because I've got a Kindle Paperwhite as well. But I've been using the Send to Kindle app for Mac. Um, and what I've been doing is taking a Mobi file and uploading them via the Centre Kindle app. With the Centre Kindle app on your Mac, you can send um, a book, in this case a Mobi file format of book, you can send that to any device that you have registered to your Kindle account. I've been sending mine to the Nexus, but they are available for download on any device that you've got um, on your account. And it converts it to an AWZ3 file, which is giving me better management options than Goodreader. Because Goodreader's fantastic, but it was giving me problems trying to keep things in sync across multiple devices and platforms. So that was why I'd got that, uh, remember the mobile light device? Vaguely. The mobile light device gives you, um, you I put a, an SD card in it and I had something like 128 gig of storage oh, yes, I remember. you can attach to it. That, that 
I, that's why I'd taken my stuff out of Goodreader, because just keeping them in sync was... Was that the stash thingy? No, it was like the stash thingy, but it was better. Right. Um, it was giving me problems in terms of storage on different devices and stuff, so I thought I'll, I'll centralise everything and then use Goodreader as like a conduit through to the device and the card on the device. And that was working great, but I actually, with this that I've put in place now... Um, I think it's even a little bit better than that because having them up there in Amazon, you can pull them down on any device and it also keeps your notes in sync. Now, that doesn't work too great with PDFs because they don't mark up nicely, if at all. So I've got all of that side of it in Goodreader. But if I've got a Moby copy of a, of a book, which I do tend to have because I tend to buy a lot of eBooks, if I've got that Moby copy, I'm uploading it. It's also good for backup as well. Um, and you've got some space with Amazon, so you don't have to worry about it. So they're all backed up and it gives you all the synchronization as well. I do use the Kindle Paperwhite for fiction books, but I need color when it comes to a lot of the programming and technical books that I have hence using the Nexus. But uh, you're not tempted with an Android yourself yet, are you? Not when I have a new toy from work, although it's not really mine. I've just borrowed it for a bit. It's an iPad Air. I'm not jealous, not in the slightest. <clears throat> you did. I did let you have a feel. You did let me have a feel. It was rather nice. <laughs> I, I did say to you, didn't I, that I quite fancied having an iPad Air. But yeah, I... unfortunately, it's got to go back. Yes, yes. <laughs> Unfortunate that, in the, in the, to say the least. Now, when they brought it out, I, I thought it was, I thought the weight of it was much lighter and I, th I thought I'd like that. But then I started to hear people that had um, issues with it, particularly the glass, wasn't it? Plasticky look to it on the glass. I think, yes. And when you go in the that, Apple store, they? these things were kind of nailed down to the top so you couldn't even pick it up properly. So that was the first one that I've actually held and, and had a play with. And yes, I can see myself getting a new iPad. That, mind you, the new, new, new iPad that will be out this year, which is like iPad 6, isn't it? Will probably be even thinner. Craig will introduce it. I must, I must get back to what we're talking about. Anyway, what else has been going on? Oh, yes, the World Cup. England home before the postcards, as expected, which didn't give me much opportunity to air my Vuvuzela. Really? Really? Should I give it an airing now? If you must. Try stopping her. Ah, what memories of South Africa 2010? When yet again we were home before the postcard, you mean? Sadly, yes. Anyway, if you can put your Vuvuzela down for five minutes, you can reveal all about another keyboard calamity of yours. My keyboards are possessed, have you noticed? It, yeah. No. Now, what happened this time was it wasn't my Matthias Pro. This was another keyboard that I'd got, which was a Logitech K811 Bluetooth keyboard. You've got a keyboard obsession, haven't you? I've got quite a few keyboards as well. I've got, I've got, the, I've got the old, do you remember the old white one? Always full of biscuit crumbs. Yes, the very first one. You see, you knew exactly what I said when I said full of biscuit crumbs, didn't you? Yeah, because mine was the same. Exactly. It, we really must prize ourselves away from from the computer every now and then. Uh, well, I yes. don't eat biscuits, so it wasn't biscuit crumbs. Well, well, I'm not getting into details as to what kind of crumbs it was, but it was full of them. Yes, I've got lots of keyboards. Well, this one, I think a lot of people have got this one because it's handy. It allows you to connect to three Bluetooth devices. Uh, the one keyboard, three devices, and you can switch between them without having to reconnect. So 
It's quieter than my Matthias Pro for live sessions and for recordings. Now, it does have its own driver, but I don't use that because most of the Logitech drivers are absolute garbage. Now, the keyboard itself wor works perfectly. And as I say, it supports three devices. Mine are connected to an iPad, uh, the iMac and the MacBook Air. Now, when I installed it on the iMac, it prompts you to input the key one to the right of the left hand shift key. So have a quick look at your keyboard. And I'd say that's the tilde key. Yeah, next to the Z. That's right. Well, all was well. That um, is obviously something that it asks you to do. And that key indicates what type of keyboard that is attached to it. All was well. I feel a bit coming on. You're not wrong. All was well until I returned to using the Matthias Pro. So I took the Logitech away, turned it off, put the Matthias Pro back, and the tilde key was switched with the section key. Now you're probably looking at your keyboard to see where the section key is. Yeah, and only you would notice that. Well, I would. I did. Because I use the section key all the time for my text expansions in Typinator. So it was a complete disaster. Now, simple matter of a reinstall, you're thinking. Oh, I wish. In the keyboard preference panel, system preference panel that comes up, the one um, that appeared when I, it asked me to press this key, the one between the shift key and the Z key, um, there was a button there. And uh, I thought, well, I just need that button again. So I went back in there because it didn't pop up automatically. So I went back into the system preferences and I was looking for this button and it had completely vanished totally vanished. The keyboard system preference pane is there and the button that you would be looking for is on the left hand side of it and it had totally vanished. So you know like you're going through that I'm losing my mind state. It was definitely there. Uh, what I did was the first time it happened I did a reboot and when I rebooted it was fine. No problem. When I had another session, another webinar and I did exactly the same same thing happened again, so I thought, need to reboot. Driving me mad because it wastes time. But the second time, no joy. No amount of reboots brought that button back. And I'm afraid it was driving me completely mad. There was a few potential solutions. Uh, the first one was an idea that I had that, okay, if I didn't want to reboot every time I switched the keyboards, what I could do was use Keyboard Maestro and reprogram the section key and the tilde key and just switch them over. Seemed like a good idea, didn't it? Yeah. Mm, no, just got the whole system confused. Um, no, that didn't work at all. So my second approach was to reprogram the keyboard. And I thought, well, you know, you can put lots of different keyboards on your Mac and people have different drivers and there's different layouts. So how far wrong can I go? And I thought, how do you make a keyboard layout? I ended up with an app called Ukulele. And that is an app that allows you to create an alternative keyboard layout. And it's a great app. It's an odd implementation. But I did actually at one point get it working. It took me about three goes, but I did. And it was working great. I thought I fixed it. Fantastic. And it worked until I realized that I needed to reprogram the shift versions of those keys too. So the keys I'm talking about is the one between the shift and the Z, which is the tilde key. Some people call that tilde, don't they? As in waltzing tilde. Yeah, I'm not getting drawn on pronunciation. You know the key I mean. Mm. And the other one is underneath the escape key in the top left. 
Now, obviously, that's a British keyboard, but those two keys had swapped over. So my beautiful layout, when I tried to fix it completely, which was, you know, pro program what happened when I held the shift key down, it went completely mad and caused all kinds of problems. So second option, not great. That brought me to the third one, which was live with it. Yeah, like that was ever an option. Very true. Which took me straight to the fourth option, which was to find the real fix. And having sat and thought it all through, I thought, I wonder if I nuked and paved, would it work? And I figured it would, which said to me, logic said, there's a configuration file somewhere and it needed a kick up, it's proverbial. And there was a, a file and I found it. It's in your library folder, preferences, and the file itself is com.apple.keyboardtype.plist. And you can actually go in and edit that file. So I opened it up in BB Edit and had a look at it. And of course, it was pretty much hieroglyphics and all code numbers. Um, if you knew what to put in, what code numbers to use, then you could edit it. I decided the new can pave option with the file. So I deleted that file in, uh, entirely, completely gone. And it completely reset the keyboard, which restored my sanity. What it will do is it forces this magically missing select button to appear in the keyboard system preferences panel. And then you're good to go. So all's well that ends well, hey? Eventually, yes. It was a, it was an odd two weeks, though, I'm telling you. Driving myself insane. Mm. So, shall we move on to the app review? Yes, because it's your toy. Oh, it's my toy, yeah. Well, at work, I've been asked to deliver some training on how to use the Office for iPad apps, which we were talking about not long ago. And the people who want the training work in Australia. So the training is going to have to be delivered via WebEx, unless they want to send me first class out there. That's not an option. No. Now, for this to work, I need AirServer on my Windows 7 laptop. For anyone who doesn't know what AirServer is, it's something that's available for the Mac and Windows, and it allows you to wirelessly mirror your iPad screen to your computer so that whatever is displayed on your iPad screen is displayed onto your computer. So when the time comes to deliver the training, my laptop and iPad will be connected to the same wireless network. Then I'll run AirServer on the laptop and I'll enable AirPlay and mirroring on the iPad and the iPad will then display a list of devices on the networks that are configured as AirPlay receivers. So what I'll do is from the list, select my laptop as the device to mirror to, and at this point, whatever's displayed on my iPad screen is also displayed on my laptop. So I then run a WebEx on my laptop, and as I'm the presenter, I share my laptop screen, and whatever's being displayed on the laptop screen will be broadcast out to the audience. So, so far, so good. Now, if you're wondering why I can't just use the WebEx app on the iPad to demo the Office for iPad apps, that app is primarily used to attend WebEx meetings as opposed to present and view content that's being shared by someone else. So, you know, if, if you've ever attended any of our MapBytes Live um, events, training events, uh, some of you may have attended from the iPad uh, the, the, the Connect iPad app and the WebEx one is very, very similar. It is actually possible to share content from your iPad if you are the presenter using the WebEx app, but you can only share files such as PDFs. You can't actually use it to demo apps and demo the iPad in general. Now, as well as allowing a presenter to share their screen with virtual attendees, um, WebEx, like 
um, Adobe Connect includes a whiteboard, which is really just a blank page that acts like a conventional flip chart or a whiteboard that you often see in training rooms and meeting rooms. And depending... Which instantly turn your meetings and sessions into wet playtime, I find. That's not a bad idea, actually. Yes. No, I, I I have seen many sessions where it's let's show you what the what the whiteboard can do, and um, it's not pretty, is it? Going back to some things I've seen, you're quite right. Yes, it needs. There to was be... one that um some somebody put a picture of themselves up there, and uh, they put this picture on the whiteboard, and um and this was a proper training session. This wasn't you know a, a social thing, a, a Mac club or whatever. This was a, a serious training session. And, Yep, supposedly. Uh, I do wonder. And somebody drew snot coming out of their nose and two horns on it. <laughs> oh, we love our job, don't yes. we? Yes, um, I remember that one well. Anyway. So do I. Presenting our... died on his feet. We wouldn't run our sessions like that. I was actually just about to say that depending on the privileges that have been assigned to the attendees, anyone attending the online session is able to type text and draw on the whiteboard using uh, special on-screen tools. So maybe he should... Yes, and look how well that ends. Maybe he should have disabled privileges. Also, at the end of the meeting or the training session, the whiteboard content can be saved as a, as a PNG or a PDF, so you've got it for future reference. Now... When I deliver face-to-face -face courses, there's usually a whiteboard or a flip chart in the room and more often than not, I use it to help explain a feature or a concept. So I usually draw or write on the board and I tend to do it on the fly. So somebody might ask me a question about Excel and I'll then use the whiteboard to, to draw out uh, what I'm trying to explain. But I do know some trainers, and I've probably done it myself, who carry flip charts with pre-prepared content on them. You can't obviously do that with a whiteboard because they usually screw to the wall. Although I've probably <laughs> seen people try and pull them off the wall and take them around with them. But it's easier to do with flip charts, isn't it? Because you, you just roll them up. So back to my training. And although I'm not old enough to, to remember focus... flip charts. Sorry? I'm not old enough to remember paper flip charts. Aren't you? She lied through her teeth. Carry on. I use them regularly. I'm saying nothing. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, back to my training. Um, although the training is going to focus on the Office for iPad apps, I want to have a digital whiteboard available. Just you know, for for all the reasons I've just talked about. So just because you can, you mean? No. Although I'm not going to encourage people to draw. Well, what what you mentioned before. Yeah. Oh no, I, I should I should have given the obligatory. You might be eating your lunch warning, shouldn't I? Yes. Or Sorry riding your bike that. from Insta. Yes. <laughs> Now, I could use the one that's built into WebEx, but I'll already be sharing my iPad screen, so it makes sense to keep everything self-contained on the iPad rather than switching between the iPad and the WebEx whiteboard. Plus the fact, um, you know, one day I might want to repeat the same training session and I might be using um, a different uh, conferencing system that doesn't have a whiteboard built in. So I think you've got to have alternatives available anyway. But to do this, I'll use an app. It's only £2.99 and it's called Whiteboard HD. It's a great app. It allows you to have an unlimited number of whiteboards. And when you start the app, you can choose whether you want to open an existing whiteboard, if there are any, or create a new one. And one of the benefits is that you can create your whiteboards ahead of time and then open them up as you need them during the, the training session or the meeting, which is why I used the analogy before of having pre-prepared content. 
Now, whether you open an existing whiteboard or you create a new one, your iPad screen looks like a whiteboard with a toolbox at the bottom, a virtual toolbox. And then by tapping on the appropriate icons in the toolbox, you can do things like draw lines of um, various uh, thickness, various colors, various length, solid, dash, dotted, you name it, you can do it. You can type text and apply different fonts and sizes. You can insert pictures from Dropbox and Box or the iPad's photo library. For me, one of the most useful features is five sets of predefined shapes. So you've got the plain shapes set, which includes squares, circles, triangles, and a star. Um, you've got a computer set, which has got various different styles of computer, mobile devices, uh, printer and monitor. So it's great for drawing a, a diagram of, say, um, a, a server configuration or a, you know, a, um, a network configuration. You've got a flowchart, which contains typical flowchart type shapes. You've got another one just called shapes, which has got circles and squares and triangles and a whole lot more. And you've got a web design palette, which has got all those shapes that you need to, if you want to create a diagram of a website structure. So, you know, a database sh uh, shape, a homepage icon, a, an envelope icon for email. And all you do, if you want to add one of these shapes onto your whiteboard, is you just drag and drop it from the palette at the bottom. Then if you need to move it, you can just use your finger and drag and drop it where you want to. If you want to delete it, you can tap on it. And then there's a, a red X in the corner and that's, you tap on that and that's, that lets you delete the object. Now, once the training session or the meeting is over, you can share the whiteboard with others. You just tap on the share button at the top and you can choose to email it or, or stick in Dropbox or box.net or save it um, to your iPad photo library and share it from there. Now, it's also a great tool for face-to-face -face training and meetings, face-to-face -face meetings. If you've got a VGA adapter for your iPad, then you can connect uh, the iPad to the projector or to a large monitor and you've instantly got a digital whiteboard. If others are in the meeting and they also have whiteboard HD, as long as their iPads are connected to the same Wi-Fi network, you can share your, your whiteboards live with them so that as you update your content, it appears on their iPad in real time. And this app has even got a built-in laser pointer, which I think is really cool. Boys and their toys. No, it's uh, it's really useful to, to help point things out. Well, I think so. Mm, boys and toys, yeah, you're right. Um, so. <laughs> it's a great visualization and brainstorming app, as well as just just acting as a as a digital whiteboard. As I said, it's two pound ninety nine. It's available from the App Store. I've written a review on my blog, which I'll stick a link to in the show notes, uh, which has actually got some screenshots in it. So you can see how good it is. So that is Whiteboard HD. I do a similar thing with a desktop app for OS X called Desk Scribble. So very, very similar in concept, but obviously you've got the whole of an iMac to go at. Um, I actually use several of these types of tools with varying degrees of success, but I repeatedly return to Desk Scribble. It has been updated in uh, a while, but it's still, as far as I'm concerned, the best, probably 
the best of all the options I've tried. Um, the global shortcuts make it really easy to manipulate it when I'm doing a live session. And the features are extensive enough to not really need another app to go with it. So what it does, you can draw all over open windows and your desktop. So if you imagine that I'm demonstrating Lightroom and I've got the Lightroom window open, and I want to say on the left hand side, you've got this and in the middle, you've got the canvas area and on the right, you've got this. You can actually draw around those areas in different colours as you demonstrate. So great for marking up the screen and elements of the screen as you demonstrate. But then additionally, you can add a backdrop. So rather than just be drawing all over your desktop, you can flick the background to white or, or black. So by default, it's transparent and you've got the desktop, but you can make it a whiteboard or a blackboard. And it supports pressure sensitivity with a Wacom tablet. And you've got a range of tools as well. So you have um, not quite as extensive as you were talking about in terms of predefined shapes. But the tools you've got, you have a pencil and with the pencil, you have a thickness slider and a color picker. So initially there's like five or six colours available, but you can use the standard OS X colour picker and use any colour you like. There is an eraser tool. So if you've added a little bit too much, you just want to lose bits, you can do that. Uh, there is also a highlighter tool as well, which is really part of the pencil, but it gives you a range of pre-configured colours that are semi-transparent. So you can actually highlight, if you imagine like a pink highlighter or a yellow highlighter, you can do that. One of the best features, if you're not using it as a whiteboard or blackboard, so if you're using it with that desktop transparency view, there's a click through mode, which means you can have your annotations on the screen, but you can actually continue to use the applications that you've just drawn all over. So you could go into different modes in them. There's a great feature when you're demoing, and that is the ability to take a screen capture of the annotation, the diagrams or the markup and save the file. Now, that would be good enough because you were saying you would share your file at the end, weren't you? Yeah. So I could do that. You could save the file and then share it later with the attendees. But Desk Scribble has an integrated sharing system. So you can actually share in real time. And it has three options for that. You can share in real time to Cloud App, Flickr or Facebook. Now, the problem with the options is there's only the three of them. Personally, I don't think Flickr or Facebook is particularly the place that I would share with a closed group. So that only leaves Cloud App. And I did have the pro version of Cloud App, but it went very expensive for what it did, in my opinion. So I've got a whole alternative upload mechanism going on with an app called DropShare, which is much more cost effective. But um, more on that next week. She said it. She said next week. I did, didn't I? Anyway, um, it auto saves between sessions. So the entire application, when you close it, auto saves what was on the screen. Um, so it brings it back the next time you open it up. And you can also import previous files so you can continue to work on them. Now, it's a little bit more expensive. It's $6.99 in the Mac App Store. But I would say it's definitely worth that. I use it as a general whiteboarding system as well as in demonstrations. So if I'm trying to explain something to Mike, rather than sort of what I've done in the past, which is, you know, I need a diagram, and I need it quickly. So I'll grab a pen and I'll start drawing it. I actually do it using Desk Scribble and then we can go back to it if we need to. So there's a whole folder full of stuff that I've drawn out. So as I say, $6.99 Mac App Store from the fantastically named Green and Slimy Software for Mac. Sounds great, doesn't it? 
It does. I've actually got it installed and uh, I think I'll give that a go as well. But you don't use it that much, do you? No, I will. And uh, I'll report back on my progress next week. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. But on a personal level, I hope you'll indulge us for a few moments. As you know, a promise is a promise. And when I rather rashly promised seven days of MacBytes when Apple updated iWork, that's what we delivered. And of course, as ever, we intended to follow that up with a few more episodes of MacBytes than we've managed in the last two and a half months. No surprise there then. But the reason for our absence was a good one. We hoped things wouldn't be more difficult for us after last year when we lost Dad. But sadly, the last few months have been another difficult time. Thirteen and a half years ago, our lives were changed forever when we welcomed our beloved boy Mayer into the family. A bigger bundle of fun you could never meet. A Samoid with the widest smile on the planet and the sweetest nature to go with it. After ten years of the wildest adventures, two and a half years ago... We endured agonies when he was suddenly taken ill and subsequently diagnosed with arthritis. With careful treatment, he recovered. And although we knew the arthritis would be with him for life, he never let it stop him living life to the full. 18 months after Maya's initial diagnosis, when Dad returned home from hospital with a Zimmer frame, Maya nutmegged him from behind and jumped clean through it. While the initial leap was artistically impressive, the landing left something to be desired as he sprawled inelegantly on the floor, but he was still smiling as he did it. Well, I think you can guess what's coming. Maya died in our arms on the 3rd of July. He was the centre of our world and we're lost without him. What a ride these last 13 and a half years have been. They do say that having a pet is wonderfully calming. They had never met Maya. One day, when he was only a few months old, we took mum and dad out and we stopped at a beautiful tea shop. There were a few tables outside, wrought iron, heavy, solid. So when the tea arrived with a big bowl of water for Maya, I tied his lead to the table and relaxed. He was an angel. Or at least he was, until a German shepherd had the temerity to walk past his pack and growl. Maya was having none of that. He jumped up and he took off to realign the German shepherd's attitude. Admirable, but unfortunately he'd not considered the impact of his exit on the three pots of tea, four cups and various other assorted crockery on the table, as he lifted it clean off the ground and dragged it halfway up the street in hot pursuit of the German shepherd. And with that image firmly in your mind, you can imagine my amusement as a renowned Samoid expert advised me that the trick to washing your Samoid effectively was to place them in the bath and tie their lead to the taps. Yes, think about that for a moment. I too had an image of Maya herring off at the road, replete with the bath behind him. And that brings me to the title of the show, Untethered in Timperley. Maya snapped his first lead when he was nine weeks old. Not one of these thin show leads either, but a heavy-duty, unbreakable, webbed affair that could probably have pulled a car if necessary. After that, we never relied on a single lead. He wore four leads, a collar and a harness every time he went out. And yes, over the years, he snapped many of those too. I think we averaged about eight leads a year. Between torn webbing and sheared off metal clasps, you get the idea. So imagine Maya's surprise and delight one day last summer when we went to the hospital to visit Dad and he was allowed in the car with only a show handle on. For the uninitiated, a show handle is a leather handle and it attaches directly to a dog's collar. So there he was, no harness and minus his usual four leads. It wasn't going to be a problem. I was dropping mum at the hospital and I was coming straight back home. Maya was along for the ride. What could possibly go wrong? 
I think he spent the entire journey there plotting. I should have known he was too quiet. On the return leg, he manoeuvred himself off the seat and got his backside stuck in the seat well. He played his helpless I can't move, I'm stuck card really well. And I was soon frantically trying to get out of a traffic jam and rescue him. Rescue proved impossible with me still in the car. So after several abortive attempts to dislodge him, I made the mistake of opening the back door. He was out that door like a bullet from a gun, with me grabbing his show handle as he went past. And so ensued 45 minutes of him rampaging every road in Timperley Village, dragging me behind him and belying his arthritic status. Untethered in Timperley, it was one of his greatest adventures. He leaves behind 13 and a half years of unbounded joy and pleasure. And if we're honest, a few white hairs too. But we do it all again in a heartbeat. Sleep tight, little one. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 